0: Well, good evening again. Thank you for coming out, and trust the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. I'd like to have you, first of all, turn to the passage we looked at this morning, Philippians chapter 1. For those who may not have been with us, we're going to be looking uh, today, and the next time we're together at the... Prayers of Paul in Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians, and this morning we looked at the one in Philippians, and I would just like to read that to remind us again what he prayed for. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit's prayer given through Paul on behalf of the saints. And what it does, it reveals to us God's will for our lives as His children. And we notice it was a love, of pr- uh, a prayer of love. Verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we discussed that in detail this morning a little bit. And just to remind you again, this is the Lord's will concerning the type of love we should have for Him and for one another. We mentioned that the primary theme of these lessons is, is God's will, my will. So we've seen here in Philippians that His will for all of us is that we are to love Him and our brothers and sisters in Christ in a very real and a very practical way. Now, if you would turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll look at the second prayer we're going to focus on, the one that, of course, he prayed on behalf of the saints at Colossae. And I didn't emphasize this this morning, but I think it should be emphasized. You know, I'm sure Paul prayed these types of things for himself. I have no doubt about that. Uh, But here, he's praying these things for others, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, first of all, as I stand here and minister on these things, well, obviously, I had to pray that these things would be true in my life before the Lord, or how in the world can I even suggest? that this would be what you should be doing in your life as well. But on the other hand, I often think, how often do I really pray these types of things for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I know? And, you know, I do on occasion for some when I see there's a need in their life. But, you know, to be very honest, we don't really pray for one another in relationship to the types of things we're seeing here today. Uh, We pray for one another about many physical ailments, problems that are taking place in people's lives, for journey and mercies on the road, and these are all well and good. Don't stop doing that, but you see, here we're going to be dealing tonight with something that is extremely important as far as the Lord is concerned because His will is that we should be praying for our saints' enlightened behavior behavior. Not just any behavior, but enlightened behavior. Now, what does enlightened mean? Well, it's something you've been made known of. And now that you have been enlightened, you can pray more effectively. But you see, the enlightenment here we're going to see is spiritual enlightenment. If we're going to pray according to the will of God, The way He would have us pray. And His prayer for us through the Holy Spirit is what we're going to be reading here concerning the enlightenment of behavior. So let's look at this together, starting with verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Again, God will bless the reading of his word. And as we just read through those things, you can see what amazing things that the Lord wants us to be enlightened to. And be enlightened to the effect that we can pray earnestly these things on behalf of ourselves, of course, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ for others. And here we have, as we did this morning, he has four things or four requests that is really necessary for all of us to live a life that's godly in Christ Jesus And the four things that he brings before us is, first of all, spiritual insight. The second one was a worthy walk. The third one, abundant power. And the fourth thing, a thankful spirit. So as we go through these four things tonight, remember this is the will of God for you. It's the will of God for me that these things are evident in my behavior as one of his blood-bought children. So let's focus first of all on verse 9, which deals with spiritual insight. And again, I want to emphasize spiritual insight. You know, most people think they are quite enlightened about a lot of things, and they're quick to share that with you. And I probably am one of those. (laughs) You know, we have been enlightened to many things in the life, and the longer you've lived... You've been enlightened to more things, but unfortunately, many of the things that we are enlightened to and share are based upon our own opinions and prejudices and things that we feel are right as opposed to what other people feel are not right and so forth. We're not talking about this type of enlightenment. I'm glad we've all been enlightened in many ways in life. Life teaches us many things, and that's how we become enlightened. But here what we find in the passage here, we're talking about spiritual insight and enlightenment. And I think a good question we should all ask ourselves, which I had to do as I studied this, how enlightened am I spiritually? What is my spiritual enlightenment, understanding, knowledge? How great is it? Well, the more I had to think about it, it really isn't very great. Now, I thank the Lord for what he has enlightened me to. And I'm sure you do, too, for those things he has. But I'm well aware of the fact that I still have opinions that are my opinions. Well, you know, my opinion doesn't matter. And neither does yours, I'm sorry. When it comes to spiritual things... The only thing that matters is that spiritual enlightenment that you're sharing with others. Things that the Spirit of God has enlightened you to from the Word of God. You see, it's that God would fill them. And this is what he says in verse 9. His desire was that God would fill them to completeness with the knowledge, which means the full deep understanding of what? His will in all wisdom... And spiritual understanding. You know, I spent a lot of time in college. I don't know how many degrees I have, more than I ever really needed. And you know, when it comes right down to it, they've helped me in some ways. But in so many ways, a lot of those things that I learned and studied so hard for, I have never really used at all. It's amazing what I had to go through to get those degrees. And yet, the things that the Lord has taught me, I cherish those. And they've helped me. And you would think, well, if he's taught you these things, how come you're not more spiritually enlightened, Bob? Well, whose fault is that? That's mine. I haven't given him an opportunity to enlighten me spiritually. More and more. Notice what he says, that God would fill them to completeness with a knowledge, full, deep understanding of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, such knowledge of God's will can only come from one place or one source, and that's the Holy Spirit of God through God's word. You know, I don't care what other men or women have written about spiritual things. Oh, I do read them. And and some of it is enlightening. But it's only enlightening if it agrees with what the Spirit of God, in God's Word, has revealed. If it's not that, it really isn't worth reading. Now, I know all of us do use other sources and studying other than strictly the scriptures, but this should be the source of your study. I also understand there are uh, men and women who the Lord has given great spiritual enlightenment to, that they can pass on and help to be an enlightenment to us of things that we haven't fully understand understood. I enjoy reading things by Frances Havergal. Marvelous truths that have been revealed to her by the, by the Holy Spirit of God. Encourage my heart. And there's men that I have read books from who the Lord has revealed marvelous things from His Word. And they're sharing those things from His Word. And it's helped me to understand more and more things that I was having a difficult time trying to pull out from the Scriptures. But ultimately, I test everything from what is in the Scriptures. If it doesn't agree with the scriptures, then I don't look at that as enlightenment at all. It's a hindrance. It's a stumbling block. So the emphasis we want to make here at this point in time, spiritual insight and wisdom and knowledge has only one source. It's from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And if you want to be spiritually enlightened, this is where you really have to go And then prayerfully ask the Spirit of God to reveal his truth, the truth of the word of God to you. And of course, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, these words reminded me of how accountable I am to the Lord to know his will. We are accountable to God to know his will. Do you understand that? He has made it very clear to us what his will is. There's no excuse for not knowing the will of God in relationship to our behavior and our life. And you know, this phrase, in all wisdom and spiritual knowledge or understanding, conveys and means that the will of God and the application of the will of God are to go hand in hand. You know, it's one thing to know what it is. It's another thing to apply it. And, you know, you can have so much stuff crammed up here, and there it stays. You know, God's will is to be exercised and seen in our lives. The will of God, this marvelous spiritual insight that God has revealed through his word, he expects us to convey and apply in our lives. So, obviously, the subject before us here in this opening statement is God's will. Insight into God's will in our life. Well, now, what does it really mean when we say God's will? You know, I thought on that for a while, and I say, well, I know it comes from God's Word, and the Spirit of God is the teacher, and He's the one who reveals these things. But what does it really mean when we say God's will? Well, I wrestled and wrestled with trying to come up with a way to express this, and I thought, well, probably the simplest way that I could explain it is this The will of God is the expression of His nature or character, His divine holiness and wisdom. Let me repeat that The will of God is the expression of His nature. His divine holiness, His wisdom. This is what God's will is for us. We are to have understanding of His holiness, His nature, His wisdom. And you see, once we understand those things, now what are we to do with them? We're to apply them in our own lives. And there's something we have to understand when it comes to being spiritually enlightened. And that is this. The Spirit of God never leads contrary to the revealed mind of God, never. And of course, it never is anything less than what is revealed in the Word of God. And finally as it's revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we saying here in essence? If I want to be spiritually enlightened, well, where do I begin? I allow the Spirit of God, who knows the mind of God, to reveal God's mind to me through His word. And of course, that word directs us to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you want to check spiritual enlightenment of things you're reading or what people are saying, this is what you have to keep in mind. Does this really reflect the mind of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit of God in the Word of God concerning the living Word of God who is the Lord Jesus Christ? This is where you receive spiritual insight. It's from God through His power, His Spirit, His Word in our lives. And the fundamental equipment for the Christian life in this knowledge of God's will in wisdom and understanding. And <laughs> You say, well, I, I don't have a great deal of wisdom and understanding. Well, who are you depending upon to receive it? Well, I hope it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, revealing the will of God, is seen in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in every respect. You see, it is found in God's Word, and it is to be seen in our lives. And here we get down to the practicality of what the Lord wants. He wants us to be spiritually enlightened for one reason. So it will be seen in our lives. What He is like. What God is like. What his will really is, not just for us, but for all mankind. Spiritual enlightenment. You know, it's one of those things you could probably talk about, but it's really only so much you can say about things like this. But you see, knowledge that does not uh, shape conduct is relatively worthless. I don't care how great the source is. You know, I can know the Word of God. But you know, if I don't put it into action, what good is it? It's not doing the Lord any good. It's not doing our brother and sister in Christ any good. And it's not doing me any good. If I don't take the spiritual insight that God has given me through his word and his spirit, and then I don't do anything with it. You see, it is to affect your behavior, the way you live and walk. You see, knowledge that does not shape conduct is relatively worthless. No matter how sound it may be, an action which does not spring from spiritual knowledge can never be spiritually fruitful. Your wisdom isn't worth anything. I'm sorry. Neither is mine. The wisdom of this world is what? What? foolishness, and we are of this world, but we are also of Christ. He's in our life, and we have access to spiritual insight because his spirit will use the written word and the living word to reveal God's mind and how we should behave in our daily lives. So the first request is spiritual insight. I'm not saying more could be said, but I already have anything else more to add. It's just something we want to emphasize. It comes from the Lord through his word as the spirit of God leads you into it. Are you allowing him to do that? That's the spirit of God's prayer for you. He wants you to be more spiritually enlightened. May it be so. Now, the second thing is verse 10 a worthy walk. He writes there, he wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. (laughs) You know, we read, I know all of you know this verse, you you could probably quote it. I am to walk worthy of the Lord. Do you understand what that really means? How can you walk worthy of the Lord? Well, you have to walk like the Lord. In a matter that's well-pleasing to him. Not pleasing to others, but pleasing to him. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing of him. Fully pleasing him. I'm, I can't say that I do that. I just can't. I can't say that I always walk fully pleasing him. But then again, whose fault is that? It's mine. The resource is there if I allow him to have control of my life. You see, here we have a lesson on the subject of what I would call guidance. You know, I used to be a guidance counselor. and You know, guidance just simply means you help Somebody along you guide them along the way and I had it as a motto on the top of my uh, Personal notepad that I used to send out that I was here To help you to help yourself You see I can't help you But maybe I can help you help yourself Because the only person who can turn your life around is for you really from a human perspective I can't do it for you, but I can give you guidance and direction. And particularly in my atmosphere of work, it had to do with academic things, college preparation, employment preparation, these types of things. I can give you guidance, but ultimately, I can only help you help yourself to do the things you have to do. And when you talk about walking worthy of the Lord, you know, the lesson we have before us here is. His guidance and direction in our walk. Who can enable me and instruct me to walk in a manner that's pleasing unto the Lord? Only the Lord Himself. He can instruct me, guide me, and direct me. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That's tough. And all your ways acknowledge Him and what will He do? He will direct and guide your paths in this life. Who better to give you guidance in this world and in this life than the Lord Himself? Now, this little word, walk, is a fascinating word. And We're going to spend probably a little bit more time on this one than the, the other three. But you know, the Lord shows us His will for our lives in order that we might please him in all we do. Does God want us to know his will? Well, of course he does. Why? So we can walk in a manner that's pleasing unto him. We don't know in ourselves how to walk in a manner pleasing unto the Lord. And none of you can tell me, unless you direct me, to the word. You see, it's only the Lord who is the one who is able to guide and direct me to walk in a manner that's worthy and pleasing unto him. Now, by walking in the power and the knowledge he has given us, see, there's that spiritual insight. Once he has given you spiritual insight, now start walking in the light of that spiritual insight. And it cuts down to some, one four little word that we all dislike, obey. Just obey. But the Lord has taught you, obey it. Doesn't sound hard. (laughs) But it is, isn't it? You see, we understand that, yes, the Lord reveals things to me. Well, why? Because he wants me to do them. And he expects me to do them. And when I do them, it pleases him. Now, this word walk in scripture is used, of course, to describe the, the behavior of a believer. And, you know, it emphasizes a progressive experience in a believer's life. Now, I hope you caught a progressive experience. Walking is a progressive experience. You see, walking implies several things. First of all, it implies effort. See, the, the active part of our spiritual life. Now, Pat and I uh, are really kind of big walkers. We like to walk. We do a lot of walking when we're here in California. The unfortunate thing about living in the Coachella Valley is half your walk is always uphill. And of course, we do that first. But we find out in a hurry. To walk takes effort. All right? Think about that. Effort. If, if you're not applying effort in your spiritual life, well, there's no way you can be walking in a matter pleasing unto the Lord. It's the active part of the spiritual life. But, you know, effort is not enough. Because when you think of the word walk, it also means Progress you're making progress. You know, it's not only motion, but it's forward motion. You know, as we take our walk, one of them is up Highway 74, and as we turn the corner to start walking up there, we look up ahead, and where we end up, the cars are up there, and they're the size of the head of a pin. That's how big they look from where we start. And it's daunting (laughs) to think, oh, we're going to walk way up there. But we start walking. It takes effort. But you see, it also implies progress. How are we going to get up there? You walk progressively, moving forward, step by step. And this is the way it should be in your spiritual life. You're not going to grow to maturity overnight. It's a progressive walk. See, walk in Scripture deals with our behavior. I'm to walk progressively. Yes, it takes effort, but I also have to be making progress. And I always think of Philippians 3, 13 and 14 when I think about moving forward. For Paul writes there, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark. Toward means moving forward towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what does he really mean when he says forgetting those things that are behind? Well, there's two possible things here that must be dealt with that can only be dealt with by not looking back. You know, if you look back and you see the things where you have failed the Lord. And you focus on those things where you have failed the Lord. And we all have. What's the problem in looking back at those things? It will discourage you from moving forward. But there's another danger. If you keep looking back, and that could be at your successes. Those times you did live for the Lord and please the Lord and serve the Lord. And if I keep looking back and focusing on those things that I have done that have pleased the Lord, what might happen? I've done enough. You know, I've done a pretty good job. Now, let somebody else do this from now on. You know, these, both these things, Paul says, I don't look back. Yes, Paul had failures. He wasn't perfect. Scripture reveals some of those failures. He has successes. But you see, he didn't look back at either one of those things. He says, I forget those things that are behind. And I press forward, press forward to the high calling of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as the Lord has given you breath, you are to press forward. And I'll tell you, as you get older, some people think, you know, as older Christians, boy, you've got it made. You know, you've grown, you've matured, you understand the things of the Lord. and Boy, this must be so much easier. I've got news for you. It gets tougher and tougher. The older I get, the more difficult it is to press forward. I really have to work at it. It used to come pretty natural and easy. Not anymore. I get fatigued quicker. I get discouraged quicker. I get tired quicker. You know, the mind isn't what it used to be. You're probably saying, oh boy, (laughs) in your case, you're in big trouble. But, you know, the thing is, wherever you're at in life, We are to press forward and move forward in the things of God. Walking implies progress. Another thing it implies is steadfastness. Steadfastness. Walking implies maturity and persistence. How persistent are you in seeking God's will in every aspect of your life? For most of us, it's kind of a fleeting thought. Or we're put on the spot to do something for something. Well, then, yes. Now I'm I'm kind of focused on that. I'm persistent in seeking the Lord's will. But it's so easy in our walk in life not to be persistent and steadfast. And, you know, there's a verse that we often use here, Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord. And we like that first part. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but this is a progressive verse. What's the hardest of these three? Well, is it flying? Flying is much easier than running, much easier. Now, of course, for humans, we can't fly. But, you know, just as we drove out of our driveway today, (laughs) there was a hawk circling around up above. And I'll tell you, there was no effort at all, hardly being fly. He was just going around in a circle so easy and we can go out to the shores of Lake Michigan which is no different than the shores here when the wind's really blowing and you know it's just pressing against you and here's these seagulls they fly and they catch a they catch that air draft and they're just floating around up there with total ease it doesn't take any hard work to fly it's much harder to run than fly but you know what's even harder than running Walking, you know, if we could run up the hill, which we can't, because you see, you can run fast for a while. And so many times in a a Christian life, we have an opportunity, boy, we run off and we go right at it. But it isn't long, we get tired of it, and we just plain quit. Running isn't that difficult when you compare it to walking. You see, walking Takes persistence, ongoing persistence. A bird can fly from the bottom of where we walked to the top in no time, with very little effort. Yeah, we see some people who run up there, and they get up there ahead of us, but they're usually huffing and puffing pretty good. It takes us a lot longer, but you know, step by step, we make it. We were persistent. It pays off. And what we have to understand here is to walk implies effort, progress, and steadfastness. The thought rises here, as I mentioned, and this is the progressive experience of the life that we have in Christ. Now, let's look at the aim of such a walk or life. It's unto all pleasing. This is the aim, the goal is to please the Lord always to completely satisfy Him in all we do. Just think about that for a moment. How pleasing is your walk, your behavior to the Lord? Is it all pleasing? Is it always pleasing? You know, as you think about this persistence and the whole aspect of this aim, it's almost a devastating thought in ourselves, but you see, we're not left to ourselves in this battle. The Lord is here. Yeah, a worthy walk of the Lord will be worthy of his person and his work. Why do I say that? I Sometimes we think, we know, but we don't really think as we live day by day about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's God, a very God. He's everything. He's our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. He's everything. Do you focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you focus on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this morning we focused on his past work and rejoiced in it. Do you focus on his present work in your life? How he intercedes on your behalf as your mediator and advocate every moment of every day? Do you focus on what he's still going to do for you? He's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. You know, if you're serious about walking with the Lord, you have to keep in mind his person and his work. He's the one that we're to walk pleasing of. And when you consider how he walked, and that's how we're to walk, we're to walk as he walked. While he was in this world, did he have it easy? <laughs> oh no. If we walk worthy of the Lord, it's not going to be an easy life down here, but it's going to be a fruitful one, it's going to be a blessed one, and it's going to be a rewardful one. That day is still coming. The aim of that walk is to walk worthy of his person and work as revealed in his word. You see, it is only as we walk worthy of the Christ that we can abound in obedience and worship to God and his will. And then finally, I just want to mention the result of a worthy walk. Two things are mentioned here. It says you will become fruitful in every good work. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we all understand we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. In fact, you cannot do good works apart from Christ. All the things you did before Christ came into your life that you thought were good works were called what in Scripture? Filthy rags. But once Christ is in your life, you now can walk worthy of the Lord because the Lord is within you to enable you to walk worthy. He will give you the spiritual insight that you can now put into action and the power itself to do it. There is no excuse for an inactive Christian towards God, towards man, or towards yourself. And then secondly, you will increase in your knowledge of God, increasing your knowledge of God. And this is more than increasing the knowledge of God's Word, although that is important. It means you will learn more of Him. You know, as you walk with the Lord, you're going to learn so much from Him as you see Him working in your life and enable you to behave in a manner that would be pleasing unto Him. You know, God's commands are his enablings. Yes, he says, walk worthy of me. And I will give you the strength and the power you need to do that. That's why I enjoy that verse, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And I envision myself, and I'm sure I've shared this, the Lord on one side of that yoke and me on the other side. And then let him just go and lead and guide and direct and you will learn so much about Him as you allow Him to lead and guide and direct in your life. Then verse 11, it talks about abundant power. He says, strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. We've kind of touched on that. and But we have to mention it because, you see, you do have abundant power to do that. All of these things we've been talking about. You see, can you be all wise? Have all wisdom? Can you be all pleasing unto the Lord? Can you be all patient? All long suffering? With joyfulness as you, we read here in this prayer? Yes. As hard as it is for us to do that in ourselves. You have abundant power within you that enables you to do these things that the Lord would like to have us do because they're pleasing unto him. And, you know, as you look at this last aspect of things, talking about patience and suffering, but also in all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You know, patience and long-suffering have been defined in many ways. But, you know, I suppose, again, in a simple way, patience simply is directed towards yourself. When you talk about being patient, you're looking at yourself, being a patient. You're patient with things. When it's long-suffering, it's dealing with others and their dealings towards you. And, you know, we're supposed to be both. When things come into our life that we really don't deserve, don't become impatient. See, how do you respond? You're to be patient. And when people really abuse you, how are you supposed to respond? Just be long-suffering towards them. That's what the Lord would have you do. Why? Because that's how the Lord was. He was patient always in his demeanor. And he was very long-suffering towards what others did to him. And that's how we're to walk as well. And, you know, I came across uh, a list of uh, things that kind of try to contrast to it, and I'm not going to read them all, but there's just a few, just to give you an idea of what patience and long-suffering, how they differ. Patience refers to our attitude to trials, but long-suffering to our attitude to persons. Patience is endurance in what is imposed upon us, but long-suffering is resistance of temptation to rebel against those who have placed those things upon us. Patience is the opposite of fear and despondency. You ever find yourself being fearful and despondent and upset? That's not patience. Long-suffering is the opposite of wrath or revenge. And how often do we have those feelings when people do us wrong? Patience is endurance in oneself, but long-suffering is forbearance with others. See, there is a difference between patience and long-suffering. But the Lord tells us here that we are to be all-pleasing in both. And he goes even a step further. And if those first two don't blow you away, you're to do this joyfully. 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 How is that possible? Because of the almighty power that's in you. That's how it's possible. Are you beginning to see why this prayer of Paul's to the church at Colossae is so relevant to the church here in Claremont and to the body of Christ wherever it may be? This is God's will. For our lives, in our behavior. And the question we've had before is Is God's will my will? You know, all of us can recognize our need of His abundance, power in all of these areas. And the question is, you know, as we bring this to a close, you see, again, all wisdom all pleasing, all patience, all long-suffering are all possible according to God's glorious might and power that works in us to his honor and glory. This was Paul's desire in prayer through the Holy Spirit of the saints at Colossae. It's also the Holy Spirit's prayer for us. You know, these lessons there end with a thankful spirit. We are to always give thanks to the Father. You know, there's nothing that cures more ills than just being thankful. And of all people who should be thankful there are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You belong, in the fa- you belong to the family of God. He's in your life. I belong to him, he belongs to me. Marvelous thing. How can we not thank our Heavenly Father for the gift of his dear Son and all that is made possible in our lives? Isn't he worthy of our walking, worthy of him in all pleasing? And may our conduct be such that is pleasing unto the Lord. And may we draw upon His strength day by day. You know, it should be a natural expression of for those of us who have the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's just read these verses again, and then we'll close in prayer. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His, of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. Wow. What a prayer. That's God's will for our lives. May it be our will to have this true in our lives. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you again for your word. Oh, how it drives home so vividly, your will for us. And we know that your will is what you desire to be acted out in our lives. We've looked at two aspects of that today. The great love that is within us in Christ is to be manifested towards you and others. May it be so. We also have been reminded that your will, is our behavior, should exemplify one who is Christ-like. We are to live in a manner that is pleasing unto thee. We just pray that people around us may truly see Christ in our lives by our walk. We're so thankful that your spirit of God gives us the spiritual insight we need to know the work and the will and the way of our Lord. May we be willing to apply these things and appropriate them day by day. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.